All right, everybody, we're back with John, and our mini-series continues. Hey, John. Hey, Adam. How are you, man? Very good. So now we're going to talk about recruiting and hiring sales talent. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, I, I recruitment, talent development is one of the most challenging things to do, and especially to do it at scale. So this has been a big topic, right? And a lot of things could be discussed on this, but there's a lot of things that we can talk about on this. So we'll try to give some good nuggets on this episode as well that we can take away from it. But yeah, definitely talent development, recruitment is huge, especially to startups. Great. So let's roll the intro and then we'll jump into conversation. Let's do it. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, everybody. Before we get started in this episode, I know that you're eager to get going, but I wanted to ask for your help. We want to get the word out there more that uh, this podcast exists. So if you're finding value in this and you really are enjoying this, would you mind please sharing this with your colleagues or putting it on social media as much as you can so that we get the word out there and we could continue to deliver more and more content like this? Really appreciate your help and uh, thank you very much. All right, John. So let's talk about recruiting and, and hiring. So, I mean, where do we start? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, th this is this is the big one. I mean, you're the founder and, and, and president of Demand Force back when I started. Rick Berry's great. He used to always say, like, great companies are built by great people doing great things. And so the talent that you bring on is critical, especially at every stage of the company. But when you have, you know, 5,000 employees, 1,000 employees, hell, even 200 employees, right? People, not every single person directly impacts the culture and the direction. When you're five people, 10 people, even 20 people, every single person that you hire, regardless of their role, is going to have a direct impact on the direction the company takes and the culture that that company fosters. Yeah, I've I've seen it in one rotten egg could spoil every everything. Yeah, absolutely. So these first couple of hires are really, really, really critical. So I think if you're okay with it, Adam, I think at this point, because we've discussed it in other episodes as well as sales leadership, right? And who do you bring on and at what stage? I think for the purposes of this conversation, we could assume that you've found that person and now that person is looking to build up their team, right? Yeah. And how should they go about it? At least for this topic in this episode, what do you think? Yeah, I think we should keep this around both SDRs and account executives. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the first thing is putting the job posting out there. <laughs> I think step one is putting it out there. And I, hell, I remember at Luma when we were looking for our first couple of people, we had Craigslist, you know, and you know, we're putting it out there. We, we, you know, again, resources are finite, right? So I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think you should be working with you know, third-party recruiters for these first couple of hires because obviously you're going to have to pay for that, right? Yeah. And so I also think a big component to that sales leadership person that you bring in 
And one of the things that you should assess out when you're talking with this candidate to be your sales leader is what's their organic network. And this person, if they're a leader and they've already led teams before, and this isn't their first role doing it, there should be people in their network that would come work with them again. And so that's the first thing is if you can get your sales leader and you guys are in tune with the type of culture and the personas that you're going after, they should be able to pull the first couple of people from their network. Yeah. And if they can't, you want to really dig into that and assess out because you're going to have to spend money on recruiting to get people in. And if you have to do that to get your first couple of people, it's just, it's going to hold you back. Right. So that that's really the first thing that I would say on that is you want to be able to pull from an, an organic market, right? And people that have worked with this person before and they may be happy in their jobs, right? So it's not a foregone conclusion that they will come, right? And especially when you're an early stage startup, there's people are risk averse. So they you may not be able to recruit people to come in there. And so you want to get your first couple of people from an organic market, if at all possible from that sales leader. But as you look to start getting your first, I guess, unorganic people, right? Your net new people, what I would call them and get them bought in. You've really got to know what you're looking for and have it really dialed in, right? So put the job posting out there. I don't know. Have you have you seen experience using job boards one over the other, Adam, or, or what are your thoughts on that? I mean, here in, in Israel, where I've ever done any hiring from is such a small market. We use, we use LinkedIn or Facebook. <laughs> yeah. So we don't need the job boards and things like that because it's not relevant over here. Yeah. We, and like I mentioned, we've done everything from Craigslist to Indeed to Glassdoor to LinkedIn and things like that. So really understanding with BDRs, I think we, you know, you can really put them anywhere. Right. If the higher you go up and in, in the rungs, if you will, if you want to get a director or a manager, you, you need LinkedIn. I, I don't really, I haven't seen much success outside of really anything in all honesty, other than that, than putting the jobs out there. But what do you look for? Right. If you're going through, so let's say you've, you've now get the job posting in it. And if you well, guys let's, are wondering, let's, before we look at what do we look for in a candidate, let's talk about the job posting itself is because I've seen so many people put in there like we do company picnics and we do this as a company, oh, we God. do this as a company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I look at the, the job rec should be what the job is and what are your minimum requirements. Yeah. You know, I, I think especially at the BDR level, if you're going to get someone because they want free sodas, you know, or snacks and like that's their non-starter. I don't know, you know, and you're absolutely right. I think they try to put too much on what the company can offer them rather than what the role is, right? And I think really dialing it out. And, and in all candor, what we did, especially early on with Luma, when I was posting my first couple of jobs is I just found companies that had job postings that were, okay, this is what I want. And I copied and pasted most of it, right? I'm like, okay, here yeah. you go. But you <laughs> want to put some requirements of there. Like, let's say you're doing, you're in outbound motion. That's your sales motion. It's all outbound. You want to make that very clear in the job rec. Like you don't want to just waste your time reviewing a resume with someone, go in and make them an offer only find out, or you do a couple of rounds of interviews only to find out that they've never even done outbound cold calling. <laughs> right. So I, I think whatever your non-starters are and your candidate, I would highlight those in the job rec. But that doesn't necessarily, even if you do though, that doesn't necessarily mean people will read it. And not at all. The, <laughs> and not at all. They'll still apply. 
<laughs> not at all. I'm not. I, I had some of, I could tell you if we've got time, I could share some crazy stories just through the recruiting lens of, oh my gosh, I, like what is going on here? Yeah. So yeah, be prepared that you're going to have to sift through a lot of resumes and go through things as well. And just because you wrote, you must have experience doing outbound cold calling. People are going to apply if they haven't, right? That's to be expected. But I think you want to put Again, I would I would take your lead on this, Adam. I would focus more on what the job is rather than what cool perks the company can offer you. I think as you grow and as you scale, it obviously becomes competitive, especially in the Silicon Valley area. So you have to put some of those things on there. But in all honesty, if you've got a rep and everything is net equal from a compensation standpoint, and they're like, well, I'm going to go here because they offer free lunches five days a week rather than your two days a week. I don't know if that's really the person you would want anyway. Yeah. They're not a yeah. big picture kind of person. Yeah. I think it's more about the what's the opportunity, right? So I would sell them on the opportunity, the impact they can make. And, you know, their opportunity joining an early stage company as one of the first salespeople and what type of opportunities that can provide you. Yeah. I would be really impressed as if I kind of put my salesperson hat on, if, if the company would actually post in there a little bit about their sales cycle as well. It's like Absolutely. we're an enterprise or we're an SMB company. We're doing inbound or outbound. And this is the kind of process it goes through. If you have relevant experience or likewise experience, then we want you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Put something about who are they selling to? What are they selling? What can they expect about the role? Yeah. Right. More than what they can expect on the snack wall. <laughs> Free Coke. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even drink Coke. What, what do I need free Coke for? <laughs> All right. So so now we've got the, the people coming in, the resumes coming in. What are some of the things that you're looking for when you're screening? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's a crapshoot, right? It's 50-50 at its best, right? So you want to just try to have a process for which you're doing this. So that way, because it's going to take up a lot of your time. So you've got to have a process for it, just like you have a process for cold calling, for demoing, right? Because if you're trying to just, unfortunately, and this may be sad to say, you can't read everyone's resume. Yeah. Right. You're going to peruse it. You're going to look at this. Okay. This is what I'm looking for. So depending on the role that you're looking for, I've got a couple of things that I look for just to quickly DQ someone. Right of hey, we don't need to go any further than this. So with the BDR, typically, depending on what you're selling and how complex it is, I typically look for very early stage people and their BDR or their sales career. Right. So if I'm looking for a BDR, I actually look for people that don't have multiple BDR listed on their resume. Right. So what I'll look for is if someone's been a BDR once, what I look for is were they a BDR and then went to another type of role like customer success or marketing? That to me is a red flag that they went to be a BDR. It didn't work out. So then they chose another role and then now they want to get back into BDR. Yeah. So I'll look for something like that. So I look if they have been a BDR, I want that to be their most recent role, right? So if you're going through these resumes, there's typically a reason why it didn't work out right? And why they wanted to do it. It's in all likelihood, it could be something as, oh yeah, man, we had to make a ton of calls, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, you'll go through that. So I, the first thing that I look at is I try to look at their job history. Okay. So yeah. if I, again, if it's a BDR, if they've done a BDR work before, I want that to be their most recent role. Okay. So what I don't want to see is they were a BDR for some extended period. Then they took another type of role in another business unit. 
and now they're applying for a BDR again. Okay, so I, I would typically DQ a candidate like that. On the BDR side, I honestly don't want more than two BDR roles listed. And again, depending on how complex you are, you may need people that have BDR experience. But again, I, I tend to want to look for those people that are earlier on and, and looking to break into sales. And in all honesty, what I've seen in my experience is if they've been a BDR multiple times, frankly, they're just not that good. Yeah. Like you, or, typically people get promoted out of their BDR role. So if they've done it multiple times at multiple places, like three or more, they're becoming like a lifer for BDRs. And when I'm hiring for BDRs, I don't want to hire lifelong BDRs. Why? Some people really like the the role of BDR. They do. Yeah. And 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 they do. I feel like and again, this is just my what I look for in these, and not to say that it's 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 a law or rule by any stretches. I, a lot of times, will use the motivation of, I'm going to help you start your sales career. I'm going to develop you. I'm going to coach you. And I'm going to move you up. And I feel like for the persona that I tend to look for, I can get a lot more out of that persona. Yeah, I can tend to get a lot more. And so that person that's fighting for that next phase in their career, I typically see I can get them to run faster or they can pick things up. The person that's a lifer, and not to say there's anything wrong with that, right? They, people... They want to be BDRs and that's what they want to do. There's nothing wrong with it. But I just feel like in my experience, the ones that I have worked with like that, they're a bit more, I don't know if complacent is the right word, but they're just more, okay, I'm going to do my minimum expectations and then that's it. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot more drive behind it if they're looking to to scale up and move up. Yeah, and especially if it's not super complex, right? If you're doing a super complex enterprise level, you may want a BDR that's a lifer that you can say, okay, it's going to take you nine months just to get the learning curve. Yeah. Right. But if you've got something that's not incredibly complex, where it's more of a platform or even less of a point solution, where you can ramp them up in about 30 days, you'll get a lot more out of them in the short term, but then they'll also develop into an AE. Right. And you can get them into an AE. And because they want to take that next step, they'll typically try to shorten their learning curve. Yeah. If that makes any sense. So those are a couple of things that I look for on the BDR side. Again, identify the type of BDR that you want, but look for, you want to look at, be able to quickly look at the resume. And so if I've got a couple of non-starters on there, I want to see if they're on there and then be able to move on in the process because you're going to have dozens and dozens of dozens of applications, right? Going through it. And so, yeah, look for those things. I want to make sure that they want to be in sales, right? That they they didn't just quote unquote, try it out. Yeah. Right. Or they're just looking for a job, like uh, just looking right. for a paycheck. Like that's it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're just looking for a job, not the job, the career that they want to do. So I look for that on the BDR side. And that's just on the, before the initial phone screen, right? So this is just sifting through the resumes. So to stay on that track on the AE side, what I typically look for now here, I want to see someone that has been an AE at multiple spots, right? Like I want to see someone that because, you know, again, they could have been right place, right time, right? They joined a company that had a backlog of SQLs that was 100% inbound, or it was green fields and they were one of two reps. So they crushed their quota. But when, when they went from two reps to four reps and their territory was cut in half, they couldn't be successful. Yeah. Right. So I want to know, like, have they been battle tested, right? Have they gotten off the mat? Have they been behind on a quota or missed quota, made adjustments, and then hit quota the next time. So with an AE, I look for someone that has had multiple stents as an AE, typically at least two or three. 
And I want them to be at each spot at minimum of 14 months. And the reason why is typically for an AE, your ramp period is going to be anywhere between six to nine months. Yeah. Okay. So if you think of it this way, if you're doing a mid market or an enterprise development or, you know, product platform, et cetera, and your quotas are quarterly quotas, if someone has an, an, you know, six month ramp, right? So let's say they have two quarters to ramp up. They didn't carry a full number. Yeah. Their third quarter that was fully ramped, they didn't hit. That's nine months. So if they were there 10 months, what that typically means is they couldn't hit a full quota. Yeah. So that that's what you want to look for the red flag there. If someone is had three AE jobs and all of them were in the nine to eleven month window, it typically means they couldn't hit a full quota. Yeah. So if they've done that multiple times, that's a red flag to me. That's Absolutely. okay. You're you're not able to ramp up. So I love to see progression with a rep two where they went in as a BDR, then moved it to an AE, and they've been an AE there for fourteen months. Like that to me is the ideal persona. I want that person like, okay, they learned how to cold call. They did that for six months. They went to this role. They did that for 14 months. Okay, so they, they made the progression from BDR to AE. So I look for that. Like I look for them to have at least 14 months at a place before they moved, right? And they went somewhere else because it shows hopefully that they can hit a full quota. Yeah, and right? they're, they're driven. Right, yeah. and they want to do it. So one of the things that I, I'm looking for, once I actually find... Like what you said, I, I look for some things that are automatic disqualifications. And once I move on past that, I'm actually taking their CV and looking at it compared to their LinkedIn. And I'm looking for discrepancies. Now, obviously not like different ways of explaining what they did or unless it's huge, yeah. but I'm looking for like complete like lies because yeah. I would say a good portion of the CVs I get when I compare them to their LinkedIn, there's such big discrepancies that it was like an outright lie in what they sent. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And to follow up on that too, what I look for is, so let's say we're getting all these resumes. We've got 10 resumes in front of us, right? So you're looking for the first initial things that you can almost DQ someone for, right? So let's say we've got 10 resumes in front of us. We go through and we see that six of them have had AEs that have only been in AE for 14 months, or they've moved in that nine-month window, right? So we eliminate those people. Now we have the four left or the six left, whatever it is. Then to your point, what I want to do is I'll, I will fully read the resume, right? I yeah. will look through it. Uh, and, and sorry, one more point on that too is be wary of people that only put the year in which they were employed somewhere. Yeah. That's a big red flag. So if you ever see resumes that come across to you where they say 2018 to 2019, that can literally be December 2018 to January 2019, <laughs> right? So yeah. it could be a one-week employment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So be if someone doesn't put their months on there, they're typically trying to hide that it was a, a really short stint. So be wary of that just on that topic. So now we've got the people narrowed down where they went through that first pass of, I call it transient, right? So they're not transient AEs where they move every you know nine months because they're not carrying the full quota. And then what I look for is what I call canned copy of their resume, where to your point, let's say they they work with you at your company, Adam, and they just describe what the company did. Like they just put what the company did. They don't put what they did. Yeah. Right. Like they're, you know, who cares like what what the company did in that extent. So what I look for is are they actually putting line items of of what I achieved at that place or at least what the job was? 
right? What did they do? And the thing that I really look for is canned copy of constantly met and exceeded quota. Constantly met and exceeded quota. Constantly met and exceeded quota. <laughs> with no numbers so, to back it up. With right no even. numbers, yeah. So if you see that, it typically means the opposite, <laughs> that they didn't hit quota. And I look for people that put, yeah, Q1, 83%. Yeah. It's fine. I think we talked about it on one of the earlier episodes. Like, I want to know that you've had your metal tested before. Yeah. Like, everyone loves sales until you don't hit, right? Until you don't get a commission check. <laughs> right. And so, so then it's like, you don't love it nearly as much. So it's okay. Like I prefer people that have missed quota at least once in their career. Right. And they can talk through it and they learn from it. So look for someone that puts real numbers on there. If they always put, yeah, I was always, you know, constantly met next to quota. I'll typically be like, no, I don't yeah. even want to discuss that. Cause Thanks, to next. your point, yeah, people are going to do it. So now we've narrowed it down to four. That'll probably narrow it down to two. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And so now you get a phone screen. Right. And so the first thing that I'll do is just do a phone screen. You can do Zoom. I think that's pretty popular now. But for me, I, I'm fine just doing a phone call. Like I just, you know, for that first phone call, I don't know what you think, Adam, but for that first phone call, I'm really just seeing, trying to see if this person's off their rocker. Yeah. <laughs> like th this is just my crazy test, right? Like, are you just so insane? that you can't even hold the basic conversation, you're probably not going to lend well to telesales. Yeah. Right. If you, if you can't do it. So I usually schedule them for like 15 minutes, right? You Pretty, don't just call them up and, and see if they have the time. No, I mean, in, in all honesty, and we talked about in the previous episode too, is if you're a doer, right, you're doing demos, you're doing coaching and things like that. Likely in my calendar, I don't have the time to just say, okay, I'll, I'll yeah. call you up. Right. And so, I like to schedule it one because I also want to see can people be punctual, right? Can they schedule a time, right? Can they commit to it? Oh, and you and have one, them call you then? Yeah, remember we talked about that. Uh, on the other yeah. one is okay. I send it to them and say, "Hey, Adam, I'm really excited to talk to you. Here's some time." They schedule it, and I very explicitly tell them, "You're calling me. Here's my phone number." Yeah, and so I want to see like, are they punctual? And you know, do they read the email? So I feel for me that's another layer that I want to look through. And honestly, with this call, it's 10 minutes. Hey, man, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what you've done before. Let me tell you about the company. What do you think? You want to come in? Yeah. Right. I, I don't think it needs to be these super... I mean, honestly, they're usually like 15 minutes. Usually, I'll know within the first three. You know, yeah. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> this, this person, you know, called late or, you know, they just don't really, can't really hold a conversation. Yeah. And it's more about also, you know, how confident they are in talking about you know, even themselves and talking about just normal everyday sales activities. Because if they're not confident when you're asking them, okay, well, what did you sell before? If they can't yeah. tell you that, well, then you were selling it for a year, you claim. How can yeah. you not know? <laughs> <laughs> you claim. I yeah. like that. I did that. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> yeah. Allegedly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's just about, and I, I've had some really off the wall phone calls. I don't know if I'll come to talk about, yeah, I mean, I've had really, and you're like, okay, no, thank you. You know, thanks. No, thanks. But, you know, usually, okay, bring them in and I'll bring them for an onsite. And, and really with the onsite, what I want to do there is I want to pressure test what they put on their resume. Yeah. So I really want to pressure test, do they know their numbers? And so I'll, I'll just bring it up through conversation. So, you know, Hey Adam, you know, tell me like, what were you selling? Okay. What was the average deal size? And I'll, I'll take diligent notes. Yeah. Okay. And what I want to try to do is I'm going to quickly try to do the math on their funnel. And then I'm going to see if their numbers hold up, right? Like you had said, you're going to see, are these, oh, I, you know, 
constantly met and exceeded quota. I always did. I did 150% to quota. You could find out their average deal size, what their quota is. That will tell you how many deals they need. And then later on in the conversation, you said, well, how many deals did you typically close a quarter? Yeah. Only to find out the number they told you would only get them to about 80% of what they said their quota was. Right. <laughs> so you could start to do the math. And so I think really understanding the funnel, even at an early level, is one of the things I always try to do with early reps is if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And so I really want to see, like, do they own their number? Do they take accountability for it? Will they call out? Yeah. Hey, this is why I left. And if they left roles, like have them talk to it. Like, Adam, what, what made you want to you know leave this position? See what they're saying. Are they talking shit right about it? Like, oh, it didn't work. The leads were awful. Our sales manager was strict. You know, we had yeah. to do make a bunch of calls. Right. So you want to look for things like that. Like culture is a big thing. Right. Again, this is organic. Right. And really think through, see if they're going to fit into the culture. Yeah. I, I want right. to put add like a big asterisk to this though as well is, you know, sometimes I know like throughout my career, I've gone through interviews and, and I've had a job here or there where, where I just didn't get along with the manager, like just on a personal level. And I either quit or I got fired, you know, because of that, not because of anything else yeah. that, that some people, when you're going through the interview process, will take that like, well, how do you not get along? Why would they fire you if you're that good? That happens. We're all humans. Yeah. And, and sometimes companies make a mistake as well, but in letting people go. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where when you're talking to them, you shouldn't feel like, oh, I, you know, I, I didn't vibe well with this person. That shouldn't be a non-starter. Yeah. Right. You should follow up like, hey, well, can you tell me more about that? And we don't have to get personal, but can you elaborate for me, please? But you're absolutely right. Thanks for pointing that out too. You should, yeah. I mean, I would much rather someone tell me the truth. Yeah. Right. And say, it didn't work out. This guy was an asshole <laughs> and I didn't like him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough, man. Can you, can you cite any examples of why he was, uh, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, the guy, to your point on one of the other episodes, right? Oh, the guy sat in the office and never let us listen to calls. And then would just, you know, scream at us to make more calls. Oh, yeah. you're right. I would, Call him an asshole too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think someone being honest about a short stint that they had or why they left or it didn't work out, you should welcome that honesty with open arms. Like and welcome it. Like you you would should always want the uncomfortable truth rather than the comfortable lie. Yeah. Very much. So once you get somebody through this process on the phone call, what do you do when you actually get them in the office? Yeah. So we get them into the office. I think, again, if you're early stage, right, let's say you're your first five sales hires, right? Let's use that. Or I want to, a lot of times what I'll do is I won't have them meet with a ton of people the first time just to value everyone's time, yeah. right? Just to say, okay. And so I'd love your thoughts on this too, but I really, because it's a competitive market, right? So you can't draw this out four weeks, Right, because it's likely someone else can, you know, come in and they can take an offer. And so, a lot of times, what I'll try to do is I'll schedule them for a forty-five minute one-on-one -on -one with just me, mm -hmm. and I'll bring them in and I'll talk to them. I'll again dive into the numbers, dive into the funnel, understand their background. I want to understand them. Like one of the questions I always ask them is like, you know, what puts that fire in your belly? Yeah. Like, what makes you jump out of bed in the morning ready to go? Yeah. You know, and, and understand things like that, just to try to understand a little bit about how they tick. I want to really understand what type of coaching they feel that they thrive under. And so I'll bring up questions like, can you 
talk to me about like if you think back and if you played sports or anything like that as little even going to little league or soccer or softball or you know anything like that can you talk to me about a coach that you had that you you ran through walls for that you really enjoyed playing for that coach okay why on the inverse of that like what about just you know that coach or that teacher or that person that you you hate or that manager you had that you hated can you say why they didn't get the most out of you right you should be honest you know if someone is like i didn't get the most out of this person and that person sounds a lot like you (laughs) like you should be honest right you should be very honest about that because you don't want that person to come in and have the same experience yeah so i've i've told reps before or you know candidates i would say like hey in all honesty like i feel like you know, that's kind of my approach as well. Like t- talk to me through it. Can we, can we peel the onion here? Can yeah. we talk a little bit more about this? And so I think they should be coming into the role eyes wide open of what their expectation should be day one. Yeah. Like, so I pull no punches really. I think anyone that if, if they listen to this, it's interviewed with me and, and come to work with me as they'll tell you, like, I almost try to push people away a bit. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, yeah. here's what we're going to expect. Like, here's what we want. Like, you know, I think a lot of companies get into the, you had mentioned earlier, right? The the snacks and the catered lunches and the things like that. And they try to sell them on that, which is great. It's fun. Okay. But at the end of the day, if those things were taken away from you, would you still want to do the role? Yeah. And so I think for both parties on that first initial meeting, I want to try to get as best of an understanding that I can of what makes them tick, right? I always ask them like, why sales? Like, What makes you want to do this? really try to understand them. I try to keep it, you know, 45 minutes. If the conversation goes long, find an hour. And then if everything goes well from there, you really want to uncover where they're at in their timeline. And if they're late stages with any other companies. You don't find that out during the phone call? Not typically in the phone call. I mean, if I just bring someone in, Hmm. you know, and so I usually will, I typically try to do them next day or the day after, right? So if I got a phone call with someone, I try to get them in pretty quickly. Yeah. But Understanding where they're at a timeline, if if they're not going to be a good fit for the company is like, what difference does it make, I guess, yeah. right? So it's like, I'll usually wait till they come in, but you certainly want to try to understand where they're at in their timeline and if they're late stages, because if you really like that candidate, I mean, I would recommend you try to speed everything up, Yeah. right? And at an early stage company, I would recommend you have a meet with other people, even if you are small, I would always have a meet with founders of the company when I can and have a meet with them. And what they're really doing is doing that quote unquote culture check, right? Yeah. See if they get along with everyone. Yeah. See how they come in. Do they get along? And yeah. And then the last stage, depending on what the role is, I would love your thoughts on this too, is some type of mock call or mock presentation, right? I've actually gone back and forth on how to do those because do you have them pitch your product, even though they certainly don't know much about it, but it shows you, do they study? Yeah. Right. Do they prep? Do they practice? Do you have them do a presentation on what they're selling today? Right. I've actually gone back and forth. What have you done with that type of stuff? Well, I, I actually do both. I tell them that and I give them a time to prepare. I tell them if you need a week, you could take a week. If you only need a night then we could do it tomorrow. I give them the opportunity to tell me how much time they'll need. And I'll, okay. I'll ask them for two different presentations. And I tell uh, them, okay. I tell them, I want to see how you're going to sell me two different things. I want you to sell it to me. So one is my product. And I want you to know that it's very important that I understand that you're not going to know my product. And I'm not looking for the technical knowledge and the to, for everything to be 100% correct there. I'm looking for your sales style and your skills. 
And then the other product that you're going to sell me is something, anything of your choosing. You choose something that you're comfortable with selling. So this, when they come back to actually sell me, I'm able to tell if they actually chose a complicated subject matter to sell me from the choice or something really easy. That also says a lot. But That's really good. I like that. Yeah. And I give them also a, a one pager to prepare them and everything with everything. Tell them, I don't care how you do it. If you want to do a pretend phone call, if you want to write me a letter trying to sell me, if you want to do a, a PowerPoint presentation to sell me, however you want, you do it. Whatever you need from me to do, if you need a trial account for our software, or if you need some of our data in order to prepare for this, whatever it is, let me know. Also, anybody in our company is at your disposal. If you have any questions to prepare, let us know. And then that's great. The last thing I do on there is I said, when you get started, what I'd like you to do is send me a quick email and let me know what challenges you think you're going to have while preparing for this. So a, some of them won't send that email, but B, if they do, it means that, and they have a clear thought pattern on how they're going to prepare. It shows me a lot of insight about who they are and what kind of processes they do. And then it also, I'm looking to see if they utilize, because I typically am selling more complicated, more technical products. So I'm looking to see if they actually take me up on that offer of help or if they want to ask anybody else in the office for help, because a lot of times they don't. And that also shows, hey, you're not a, you're not a team player or you're not, not necessarily a team player, but uh, you're not resourceful. And you're not coming out of beside your comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is the big thing. I, I like that. That's a really great process, very thorough to go through. And yeah, I think you want to know, do people come outside their comfort zone? I mean, the biggest thing about sales is being willing to come outside your comfort zone, yeah. right? And if you cannot do that, it's unlikely you're going to convince prospects to do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is why they don't buy. And so, yeah, I think doing that, I like to see how people think on their feet. Right. I don't tend to give them a lot of technical objections. Right. I don't think that proves much. Yeah. Right. Of can you give me a discount yeah. <laughs> type of stuff or, you know, yeah. I, I would call them softball questions to see. But yeah, I think that's great is if you really figure out what the persona is and what characteristics you need them to have and then try to build that into that role play. Right. If you need people that are resourceful. Exactly. And I tell them that the role play scenario or the selling scenario is only five to seven minutes long each. I don't want it to be long. You don't have a half an hour. Let's yeah, get to the point, get to the point, close me. And if they come in and this is something that everybody should be looking for, if you're going to choose to do this kind of thing, if they come in and only start presenting, <laughs> that's a huge red yeah. flag. And that means uh, I'm really not interested in this person. They should come in and start asking me questions and getting me to talk. <laughs> yeah. And that, I think that's a good point is, can they conceptually understand your platform enough to think of even half a dozen discovery questions? Yeah. You know, can they do it? And I, I've, you know, I'm sure you have to have had to do, you know, a bunch of these types of presentations and, you go through them and I'm like, God, I don't, I don't really know what the hell we're doing here. But I, I, I know enough where I can come up with questions because I think it's just being naturally inquisitive. Yeah. Right. And you can come up with questions and you're absolutely right. Whenever I'm doing these mock presentations, I look for them to set an agenda for what they're going to do and start asking questions. And if they're just like, great, thanks for joining. Slide one. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, God, here we go. 
buckle up. <laughs> yeah. One one thing you just said is uh, naturally inquisitive is uh, something that's really important to me. I've, I think I've said it on the podcast before where one of the questions I ask during the small talk phase of the interview is actually I just kind of start talking to him about like, hey, what what do you do for fun? Or what? I just read this book. It was amazing. Do you read? Oh, what do you read? And I want them to tell me something that like, oh, even if it's watching YouTube videos and learning something, I'm looking for somebody that's a natural learner. Yeah. What have you taught yourself? Yeah. What did you not know that you you wanted to know? Exactly. Right. Even if it's a useless fact and my mind is filled with, you know, useless facts that have no applications. Right? <laughs> but, you know, it's like, and I don't know what that means. Oh, if only there was a website that you could type things into and get answers back. Right. So that and. And I think we've all worked with those people and it's challenging to work with of, oh, and I, I've had reps like this where, oh, you never told me to do that. And it's like, okay, I guess like I, I didn't tell you to brush your teeth either, but I'm hoping you did that before you came in. Yeah. Right. So you're going to have those people that are going to get defensive and they're only going to do things that they're directly told to do. And when you're at an early stage company, you're going to need to have people that can go a bit above and beyond. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't have anything to do with work life balance or working overtime or working till seven o'clock at night. It just means like, and I don't know what the process is for this yet. Let me see if I can figure it out and do it the right way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, John, we've like we do every session, except for this time, we've really gone and done it. We've gone way over time. <laughs> so, so I think we should kind of wrap things up here. And, you know, we didn't even get us to speak about kind of compensation and onboarding. For new clients, so I think we'll have to put that to another episode as well. Yeah, I think these are two key things. Yeah, so we we went. I think we went a little bit long because these first few people that you bring on are incredibly critical. Yeah, right. And you having attrition at your company very early on. You're and especially in sales, are going to have attrition. Don't be afraid of that. But you want to make sure if you if you can nail these first five people, it will make everything a lot easier down the road if you're constantly trying to get people so do diligence right but look for the right type of diligence right look for things right you you've got to understand like what you're looking for and put salt in what matters right you know okay you're going to have them do a mock sales presentation giving them objections about your product isn't going to tell you much about who they are and what they do exactly and if you want people that are you know parakeets that just regurgitate things back that's the way that you get them is give them one-liners and things like oh how are you better than my competitor right like well what is that really going to tell you about the person so have them do diligence you want to assess like are they a problem solver do they are they naturally inquisitive do they have general presentation skills and know what to do those are much more critical things at least in my mind right sales is a learned skill Right. So you want the right kind of people that you can coach up. So it's a really, really critical topic, especially early stage. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I, I would add to that is, you know, like you said, focus on the right things because not every hire you make is going to be a good hire. You are going to make some bad hires and that's natural. So learn to fire quickly. <laughs> I know it sounds gutless, but yeah. learn to fire quickly. Yeah. I think we've talked about this and, and you need to have that person bought into your system, right? So you've got to have a system and we'll talk about this in a later episode of how you onboard things of that nature, but you need to have a process and a system. And if that person isn't buying into that system, 
and they're not doing it, you've got like you've got to just be able to say, hey, we, we made a mistake here. Yeah. Like this isn't working out. So the more that you can do on the front end, you can eliminate those types of things. But when it does come up and you have a bad hire and it doesn't mean that they're a bad person, right? It's just a bad hire. They're not fitting into your culture, if you will. You've got to be willing to move quickly because you had mentioned earlier today that that rotten apple, right? It's going to start to spoil and it's going to become cancerous. Absolutely. Great, John. Thanks again for being with us on this mini series. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll come back next week with onboarding and compensation. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. 